Morning, church. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we come to you because you are Lord of all. Lord Jesus, we come to you because you're head of the church and you've said you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But we look to you today to build your church in the hearts of your people. You've said that we are like living stones being built up. And so, Lord, we ask that you would build us up into the community of your people. Father, I ask that you would open our hearts to pay close attention to your word. Lord, I ask that you would anoint my lips with your truth. Father, and I humble my heart before you, knowing that you are Lord and Saviour and there is no other. And so we turn ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's great to be here, City Reach Oakton. As I said earlier, it's been four and a half years, would you believe it, since uh, we were sent out to plant City Reach Marion, and I'm glad at what God has done. It's interesting, in our text, actually, Barnabas says, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And so I see that, and I'm glad, and you should be too, the work that God has done. You're going through a series over these three weeks looking at the values of what it means to be City Reach Oakton. You've looked at identity, this week is community, and next week you're looking at mission. And community is the essence of Christian community, the church, is a bit like a secret ingredient. People might ask, what is it? What is it that makes this church community special? You know, what is uh, the thing, the secret source behind the scenes that brings it together. Well, in 1940, Harlan David Sanders developed 11 secret herbs and spices that made his original recipe for the fried chicken that we know and love. And now, over 80 years later, these same 11 secret herbs and spices are one of the world's most famous trade secrets in more than 25,000 restaurants in over 145 countries. And the key to ensuring this trade secret is to ship the spices already mixed to each of the restaurants so nobody knows what's in it. And the church has a secret recipe that's hidden in the text for us to look at today from the church in Antioch. And the secret recipe to the community of the church has spread to more than 25,000 churches around the world. It has been going for 2,000 years. And it is more than 145 countries. It has pervaded every generation, but it is something unique and something special which we ought look at. So this morning together, we're going to do a bit of a case study on the church in Antioch and ask, what was it about this church that made it a thriving church community? What can we learn from that? What is the secret behind the scenes? What is God doing in this church? The first thing we're going to look at in a thriving church community is that they get first things first. They get first things first. When I was uh, living, when I grew up, I grew up in a place called uh, Wheatsheaf in Wombat State Forest in Victoria. So literally, I was on a bush block I didn't see any wombats, unfortunately, 
but I was in a bush block with large gum trees, a dam, and a mud brick house. And one of the things that we used to do in the preparation for bushfire season every year, we used to get, gather together with all the neighbours and talk about our readiness and, and get trained in preparing for bushfire. And I learnt during those meetings as a young boy that there are four elements to a fire. There are four elements that are critical to a fire and you pull out any one of them and you get no flame. The first is fuel. Every fire needs a fuel source. The second is oxygen. The third is heat. But you still need something more. You need a chemical reaction almost in the center of those called combustion, a spark. And it's with this spark that a fire is birthed. So getting first things first in the church we see here in Antioch is the preaching of the Lord Jesus. That is the center and the driving force of community. Now, it might seem odd to you that I'm speaking about community. I'm saying preaching the Lord Jesus is the first thing. But that's what we see in the text. Look at it in verse 20. It says they were preaching the Lord Jesus. And in verse 21, that is where people came to faith. Look at verse 23. After Barnabas is called up from Jerusalem, what does he do? It says when he saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord. What does he do? He continues to teach these new Christians. Then they go and recruit another pastor. They get Saul from Tarsus to come and help. And what do they do? It says in verse 26, for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. What is the driving force of this church? It is the teaching of the Lord Jesus. And so there are four aspects to this teaching. I want to look at you using our metaphor of a fire. Firstly, what is the heat? What is the heat? It is that teaching is in every part of the church. In every part of the church. It's for the conversion of new believers. It's for the maturity of believers. It's to make sure that they are living a life where Jesus is their Lord, their King. They're coming under the authority of God's Word. It's for church growth. We notice it says twice that when they teach, people get added to the number of the church. Every aspect of this church is driven forward in the teaching of the Lord Jesus. This is the heat needed for the fire in the church. The second aspect in this thriving church community in getting first things first in the teaching is the daring evangelism or the fuel to the fire. The daring evangelism. I want you to notice that this is the first time that people have gone out preaching on a large scale to non-Jewish people. Have a look at it in verse 19. It says they were speaking the word to no one except Jews. And then in verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists or the Greek-speaking non-Jews also preaching the Lord Jesus. Now this is groundbreaking because no one had done it before. They're going to people who worship other gods. They have different religions. They're not interested in Christianity. They don't care. And yet they're going, what are they doing? They're preaching the Lord Jesus. They are practicing daring evangelism. This is the fuel. So we've seen the heat, the fuel to the fire. What do we need next? We need oxygen. Oxygen. 
And the oxygen to the fire is the leader's personal lives that have been transformed by Jesus. I want you to notice that those that go to preach in Antioch are men of Cyprus and Cyrene. Now, Cyprus is an island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, right, just to the west of Antioch. And Cyrene is in modern-day Libya, northern Africa. These people were already second-class Jewish citizens. And yet they knew that God had come to them in the flesh in Jesus Christ. They had felt and experienced the grace of God because even though they were second class, even though they were the people that didn't expect to get God first, he came to them and they had believed upon the Son of God. And so they were willing to go to others like them, other outsiders, other people who hadn't heard about Jesus, other people who had nothing to do with the historic faith of the Jewish people. So I've seen heat, fuel, oxygen, but it's not enough. Something more must take place. There must be combustion. There must be a spark. What is the spark? Have a look in verse 21. It says... And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Have a look again in verse 24, talking about Barnabas. It says, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Notice that God was doing something special. You have all the three sort of core elements of the fire, and yet it's inflamed, it's combustible because God puts his hand upon it or Barnabas is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the key. This is the key to it all is that God is doing something presently amongst his people. Now one of the prayers that we are very affectionate of at City Reach Marion is from Colossians 4, 2-6. And in it, Paul asks the church in Colossae to pray that his preaching would be made clear as it ought to be. Now, the word clear there is probably better rendered in the KJV as manifest or real. That is, Paul is asking another church to pray for him that what he speaks about would be made real to those hearing it. Because let's be honest this morning, none of us can see God. Because Jesus is not here. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. The Father is sitting on the throne. The Holy Spirit is indwelling his people. And we are together, the temple of God. But we can't see him with our eyes. And so we access belief in God through faith. But something's got to take place that this goes from being an abstract idea that we're just turning up to church, that we've got a tradition that we do every Sunday, that we feel we ought to be here, to God is in the room. Is God in the room this morning? He is when the word becomes real. When we hear something and we go, God's speaking to me personally, that's what Paul asked prayer for because he knew that combustion in the church, in the preaching of the Lord Jesus, takes place when God is there. And he's not always there. Otherwise, why would Paul pray for it? Why would he ask that something dynamic happens? Notice that people are getting converted en masse. That's unusual. It's unusual in today's 
Australian church, to see people converting from non-Christian, totally irreligious or secular backgrounds or from other religions, they're coming to faith in Jesus. It is unusual apart from the hand of God. That is combustion. Martin Lloyd-Jones called this kind of preaching truth on fire. Truth on fire. And so let me ask you as a church community, are you praying that the word of God taught would become real? Because you ought to be. As we all ought to be. That is where something dynamic happens beyond the ordinary. Because we might be here because there's good seating, or there's good lighting, or we've got friends here, or the music is good, or the doctrine is pure. Whatever it is we're looking for, but there is something more that God wants to do amongst us, and that is that his word would become real and we would mature as disciples of Jesus, or in fact, believe in him for the first time. That is his goal amongst us. So a thriving church community gets first things first in the preaching of the Lord Jesus. But secondly, it is a radically generous community. Now, when I was younger, I used to imagine what it would be like to win the lottery. None of you would do that, but I used to do that. And I used to imagine all the things that I would buy, all the cars that I would get, the private island that I would have, you know, all the different things that I would amass. And then after a while, I'd begin to feel guilty. Uh, and so I would then imagine oh, I'd give some money to the poor and I'd give some money to charity and perhaps even I'd give some money to the church. Notice that my mind worked in a particular way that I felt a sense of wealth and then a sense of guilt and obligation that I should do something with it. And it was conditional. It was, if I win the lottery, then I will give. It wasn't from the heart. But a thriving church community is generous from the inside out. Have a look at the church in Antioch. It says a prophet came, his name was Agabus, and he foretold, verse 28, by the Spirit that there will be a great famine over all the world. And this really happened. So this, this was foretold by a prophet before it happened, and then Luke records this really happened in the days of Claudius. Look it up. Verse 29, so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Let me paint the picture for you. This is a new church. Right? These are the new kids on the block. The Jerusalem church and the church in Judea is established. And yet they are all opening their wallets when they hear in advance of it happening that there's going to be a famine. It's like if someone came up called Agabus, stood up this morning and said, there's going to be a famine in Victoria. Will everyone open their wallets today? It's going to happen sometime next year. Let's get some money together and send it with a couple of our elders to go and give it to them. No one's going to do that, right? Because they think, you're crazy. Like, people don't get prophecy today. But this is what happened. Why? What stirred amongst the people? What made them so radically generous that they weren't just willing to hear the teaching, but it got into their hearts and into their back pockets and into their purses? Because that's when you really see the gospel going deep. You know, Jesus taught more on money than he did on hell. Why? Because he knows the love of the human heart. It's 
pulled towards material things. It's pulled toward power, and it's pulled toward wealth. But this church in Antioch had a Holy Spirit-led generosity. They hadn't even met these Christians before in other places, and yet they were willing to support them during a famine. Notice everyone gave as they were able to. Some weren't left out. God's Spirit is present amongst all the people. So why did they do it? What moved in their heart? What was a flame in them that made them generous and giving towards the work of the gospel and other needy Christians in other places? 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty became rich. You see, the Apostle Paul in teaching in 2 Corinthians is appealing to the gospel. He's appealing to what Jesus has done for his people to make us generous people because of it, because he is a generous God. You know, in the Gospels, Jesus was observing a widow giving uh, to the temple. And all these people would uh, come forward, and very wealthy people, and would pour their money in to the offering buckets. They would pour their money in. It would clink and clank. And so everyone knew that these were the generous people. But Jesus spotted someone who just gave one coin, one little coin. It's called the widow's mite. Because Jesus knew that that was all the money that she had and she gave of it freely, not to look good before everyone else, but because she was worshipping God. Because she saw someone of more value in him, so she was freed from clinging to worldly possessions. And that is the key to Christian generosity. It is worship. When God is bigger in our mind than our bank balance or setting up for our future, our superannuation or our investments or our bills, what is the thing that goes through our mind when we consider giving generously towards God's work in the church? Is it the bills that we have? Is it preparing for our future. Now, these might be wise things to do, but they take up too much brain space, too much bandwidth. It's a thing in our mind that we have a generous God and he has given everything for us. He bled for us. We've just remembered that this morning, that Jesus Christ bled for us. He gave it all. He went to a cross. He didn't just give it all in a meager way. He went to the ultimate symbol of punishment and death, and he endured to the end. He gave up his spirit once it was all paid out. He said to Telestai in Greek, it is finished. The account has been paid. And so why then would we not give generously if we have such a generous God? And so I don't want you to think about giving in church as an obligation or even as something that is owed or even that you might get something back in return. I just want you to look at him. Look at what he's done. That is the secret to a thriving church community who is generous because they are aflame that Jesus has done everything for him. He is gracious to them. So we've seen firstly... 
in a thriving church community, the kind of secret source, the secret herbs and spices behind the scenes are getting first things first in the preaching of the Lord Jesus, this flame which catches from leaders to people and abroad. We've secondly seen that this church is radically generous and a thriving church is seen to be radically generous. People don't love money as much as they love God. But thirdly, we see a church that is all in God's grace. It is all in God's grace. Australian rock and roll musician Nick Cave is a very interesting person. Normally when he's interviewed, people try and avoid the subject of God because he's got a lot to say. But in a recent interview in the Weekend Australian two weeks ago, he was interviewed and it was just on his views on religion. And this is what he says. He says, I think I was always yearning within me for something else, something beyond myself from which I felt excluded. Even in the most chaotic times when I was struggling with addiction, I always felt desirous of those who had a religious dimension to their lives. I had a kind of spiritual envy, a longing for belief in the face of impossibility of belief that addressed a fundamental emptiness in me. There was always a yearning. Let me put this another way. He saw Christians, he saw the faith and said, there's something there that I don't have. There's something that I don't have. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of verse 26 in our text. It says in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. People saw these new believers in a religion they'd never heard of because it was different to Judaism. And they gave them a nickname because they were so out there that they were so radically generous, that they were so committed to preaching with their mouths the good news about Jesus Christ, that they loved people who hated them. When they were slapped down, they turned the other cheek. Something profound was going on amongst the Christians, and Nick Cave has cottoned on to it, and this is what he says next. He says, I think I'd be happier if I just stopped window shopping and stepped through the front door. Let me say that again. I think I'd be happier if I just stopped window shopping and stepped through the front door. He's been window shopping Christianity all his life. Have you? You're here this morning and you've been window shopping Christianity. You're observing this community and you're trying to work out what's the secret source here. What are the herbs and spices? Maybe you've actually been a Christian for some time, but you've stepped back outside the building in your heart. You might be here in person, but not in heart. And you're looking in, but you're not all in. You're not in there yourself. What change needs to take place that we might be all in God's grace? Well, I want to tell you that when I became a Christian at 14... When I was on a youth camp, I had two options before me. I remember this clearly. I was sitting in a seat just like you are, and someone was explaining the gospel about Jesus. And I had some friends who'd left the meeting, and they decided that, you know, and these were my non-Christian friends. I wasn't a Christian. And they decided that they had better things to do, and I knew my heart was pulled in two directions. Would Jesus become Lord and Savior of me, or would I live for myself and my own desires? Would it be my way or God's way? 
I knew at that point, after hearing and believing in the message of the gospel about Jesus Christ, that my way was a door to death and this way was a door to life. But I knew that I had to get up out of my chair physically at that time and be all in. Now, I tell you that conversion is always all in, right? God births a new person. That's what he said, Jesus said to Nicodemus. You must be born again. All the references to becoming a Christian is an all-in change. We see it in verse 21. There's a very interesting phrase. It says, And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So they've heard about Jesus, but they haven't just believed. This is quite a unique phrase. It says, Those who believed turned to the Lord. The word Lord meaning master, boss, commander. They're all-in. They turn to him. They're not going to be ruled by the culture anymore. They're not going to be a bit of column A, a bit of column B, a bit of DIY religion. You know, a bit of what my favorite blogger says here, or social media person, or YouTube analyst, all in under the Lord and his teaching. Notice in verse 23, Barnabas's exhortation is that they would remain faithful to the Lord, come under his authority, that he is king still. Though you can't see him, we believe in him and follow him. So what is entry into the Christian faith? Jesus is Lord and Savior. What is maturity in the Christian faith? Jesus as Lord, no other Savior. What is, what is growth in the church? Verse 29, it is this heart of generosity stirred so that it floods every, generosity stirred so that it floods every purse and wallet. Would you believe it? Because I think I know when Christianity has worked its way right into the heart, when you don't love your money anymore, you love Jesus. And so money is just an asset. You own it. It doesn't own you. It's, it genuinely becomes an asset to steward, a resource, not something that you serve to just attain more. Isn't it amazing the work that God does when people become all in? I, was, uh, I spent six hours lawn mowing on Friday, a good six hours mowing lawns, with my 173cc metal beast with spinning blades pushing it around. And I managed accidentally to roll over an inch ant nest. And if you've never met an inch ant, you should be scared right now. They're about this big and they have giant nippers and they hurt. They hurt. And so I rolled over this enchant nest with my lawnmower, and these enchants came out ready to, ready to battle. They wanted to fight. They wanted to take on my 173cc metal beast with spinning blades. Well, we know who won that fight, of course, and I just continued lawnmowing, but they had courage, and I was in awe. I was in awe for just a minute until they got chewed up by the lawnmower. But that's the kind of courage that Christians ought to have, isn't it? You know, you see in verse 19, people with great boldness. Uh, it mentions those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. What happened to Stephen? 
Flip back in the book of Acts to chapter 7. You'll see that Stephen was stoned to death for what? For preaching the Lord Jesus. And what are these people doing? They're continuing to preach the Lord Jesus, knowing that their friend was killed for the same reason. They are bold in the faith. They saw someone in Stephen who was all in. And so they caught fire from his embers. Who do you look to? Who do you look to when it comes to being all in? You might have mentors, great people of the faith, people in this church who you look to and you ought to. People who've devoted their lives to Jesus, whether they're in vocational ministry or any other vocation in life. Men and women of God who have served faithfully, look to their examples. But I also want you to look further because what drove Stephen to be a flame was someone who endured all in for him. Someone who stayed on the cross till he said, it is finished. And then, and only then, Jesus yielded up his spirit. And it's all grace, right? Because Jesus did what we could not do on the cross. He became the perfect substitute for our sins. Him in our place. We ought to have died on that cross for our sins, but we did not. Jesus took it for us 2,000 years ago. Willingly, in love, he said, I want these people as my people and I will give my life for them. That was the exchange. And he was willing to do that in love for you and me. And he is as all in as it gets. You know, people that were crucified were only those that were the worst of criminals. Citizens couldn't be crucified. The people in the lowest echelons of society. Jesus was stripped almost naked, almost no possessions to his name, giving everything in utter humiliation physically, and then that is just a skerrick, a whisper of the spiritual weight that he took on the cross by bearing God's wrath for sin. And yet he did it in love. He did it in generosity. He did it because first things were first for him, that he would win a people for himself through his death in our place. So Jesus is all in. That is where the fire comes from when we see a God like this. Do you know I had a dream late last year? It was a very odd dream. I was uh, going to a special event. There were all these dignitaries there, people who were important in my life, and then kind of, you know, heads of state and stuff. You know, very important people were at this event. We were all sitting down at round tables, and then people began to stand up and to share things. But I realized quickly that this event was about me, but not in a good way. People began to share the bad things that I'd done. People began to share the evil thoughts that I'd had. And this went on and on for some time, and my heart began to feel guilty. Then it began to feel shame that all my dirty laundry was out in front of everyone, and then I began to feel an overwhelming sense of fear. I'm going to get it for this. I deserve punishment. When it was all brought before the crowds, I felt this is it for me. 
And then someone stood up amongst the crowds, amongst the tables, and said, it was me, I'll take it. And these men came and dragged this man away, and he took it for me. And then I woke up, and I sort of you know, wandered out to the kitchen, made my coffee, woke up a little bit, and I thought, that was a weird dream. And I thought, uh-huh. I know what was going on there. That man who took it for me was Jesus. And he did it for me. He took it all for me. Not just generally. You know, he didn't go to a cross just generally for people. He did it for you personally. He did it for you corporate church. Gee, something takes flame in your heart. A spark begins. Why? Because it's real. Because it's real. Do you want to be in a thriving church community? Do you? Do you want God to do something now in grace so that we would be filled with love for him? If you do, there's no other way except turning to the one who fuels and fires it all, Jesus. He's got to become Lord again. Stop looking in the shop window and walk in the door. I'm going to invite the band to come up now. and We're going to ask and pray that as we've heard God's word, that he would move our hearts to respond to him with faith. Let us pray. Our Father, we ask now that as it rains down upon this building, that you would rain down in grace upon your people, that you would show us that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago on a cross and this man that rose from the dead is alive today and his arms are open to us right now. And I ask that you would work in our hearts to believe that it was for us. That first things would become first. We'll become a flame as a church for Christ, for the preaching of his word. Or that we will become radically generous because you were radically generous for us. That we would be all in. Get out of the sidelines, get off the bench, into the game because you were all in first for us. Our Lord and our God, we commit ourselves to you and to the word of your grace. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.